Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Well, this is, boy, what a day. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. I am back at my meeting of the lawyers yesterday, speaking to a group of uh, lawyers in Cobb County, Georgia, and a bunch of our advertisers. And now I'm back, and gosh, it's a day. So it started off at the orthodontist. And then I had to, the the cable install people showed up unannounced, and I needed to go take care of them. Thankfully, they were able to get into the new office without me being there because my wife's car battery died. So then I had to go try to jump my wife off. The battery was too far gone. Thank God for AAA, and then had to take it to get the battery replaced. It's been a morning. Now I'm here, three hours of calm with you. I want to begin with good news. We don't often start with the good news. There is good news. The GDP for the nation rose 2.9% annualized in the fourth quarter, better than expected, uh, which means if we were in a recession, we are not in a recession right now. Uh, it, it finished 2022 in good shape. Fourth quarter gross domestic product, the sum of all goods and services produced for the October to December period, rose at a 2.9 annualized pace, the Commerce Department reported. Economists surveyed by, by Dow Jones expected 2.8. Stocks turned mixed following the report. Treasury yields were mostly higher. Consumer spending, which accounts for about 68% of GDP, increased 2.1% for the period, down slightly from 2.3%. Inflation readings moved considerably lower to end of the year. After hitting 41-year highs in the summer, the personal consumption expenditure price index increased 3.2%. In line with expectations, sharply down from 4.8% of the third quarter. Excluding food and energy, it was 3.9% down from 47 While the inflation numbers indicate price increases are receding, they remain above the 2% goal. Uh, right now, the Dow is up uh, 37 points. NASDAQ up 94 points. S&P 500 up 17 points. Economists uh, pretty, pretty happy with the news, you should be too. Uh, there are still warning signs of a recession to come, but right now, things look good. There is the good news. <laughs> we'll get into the bad news here in a little while. But first, but first, I'm kind of glad I wasn't here yesterday because I wrote a piece yesterday morning outlining why I think Republican National Committee men and women need to stick with Ronna McDaniel as the RNC chair. I have been critical of McDaniel and preferred someone else. But no one else stepped forward except Hermit Dillon and Mike Lindell of MyPillow. And I said between the three of them, uh, Ronna McDaniel is a steady hand and a good fundraiser. Hermit Dillon gave an interview the other day and said uh, McDaniel is a great uh, fundraiser, that is the chief job. You and I have always thought the chief job of the RNC is to win elections. People inside the RNC and elected officials say that's not the job of the RNC. The job of the RNC is to map the calendar of the presidential primary and raise money for that candidate to spend in a joint fundraising setup. Um, and Ronald McDaniel does a very good job of that. Yes, there are parts about voter access and ballot access and, and getting ballots in the box and all that that uh, matter, but not 
not uh, to the extent that raising money does. So I said, uh, Ronna McDaniel, of these three people, Ronna McDaniel is best, and the RNC should back Ronna McDaniel. And my readers on my sub stack, of which you should be one, if you're a paid subscriber, you could leave comments. You should text data to 33777. But they all left comments. They were very upset with me. Very, very upset that I would back McDaniel over Hermit Dillon. Friends, sometimes we disagree on things. And I try to explain to you why I have a position. And I admittedly pulled some punches in my piece yesterday because I didn't want to drag Harmeet Dillon, who I don't know her. I don't know Ron McDaniel, but I, I think highly of, of Harmeet Dillon. But uh, I, I had to revise this today so that y'all don't doubt me on this. Yesterday, they're meeting in Southern California. And Harmeet Dillon's team and Mike Lindell's team decided to do a... A debate. They left an empty chair for Ronald McDaniel. At the end of the debate, uh, Carolyn Wren, who is a terrible person who works for Harmeet Dillon, uh, one of the reasons that I don't think uh, we need Dillon in the RNC, that uh, Carolyn Wren would get too close to the uh, money and she shouldn't be trusted to be near the money, I don't think, in my opinion. And she announced that Dillon and Lindell are going to do a tag team RNC bid. So let me put this in perspective for you. Ronna McDaniel may not be the greatest RNC cheer, but she's not an insane person. Mike Lindell is a pretty crazy person whose latest conspiracy theory, this is the MyPillow guy, whose conspiracy theories about the stolen election in 2020 were so conspiratorial that even the people who thought the election were stolen are like, man, that's nuts. He's in the zombie Hugo Chavez ghost camp of stolen election conspiracies. Lindell's latest conspiracy is that there's no way Ron DeSantis flipped Miami-Dade County to the GOP. There's just no way. It had to have been stolen by the Democrats for Ron DeSantis. That, that's Lindell's latest crazy conspiracy theory. And Harmeet Dillon wants to put him in charge of the RNC. No, no, don't believe me. Carolyn Wren, who is her chief fundraiser and organizer, was with Lindell. They were at this meeting of the press where they were claiming to debate Ronald McDaniel, who was a no-show. This is from them. Getting ballots into ballot boxes. Ultimately, that is what the responsibility of the Republican National Committee is to do, is to win elections. It has not been winning elections, and there's time for new leadership, and I believe that that person is Harmie Dillon, with Mike Lindell right by her side, those two people together, they can land this plane right now for our country. They can't land a plane? Mike Lindell can't, can't, can't land a plane? She wants these people, this, this is Army Dillon's like, like chief organizer wanting these two people to be in charge. Can you imagine my pillow goofy guy in charge of the RNC? Listen, we just went through an election where the voters of America said, we hate the Democrats, but we can't put the country in the hands of crazy town Republicans. The non-crazy Republicans won in California. They won in New York. They won in Georgia. They won everywhere. The crazy town Republicans lost. And so 
the woman who is running against Ronald McDaniel for RNC chair thinks we need crazy town in charge. This is nuts. This is absolute nuts. To quote myself from this morning, I'm personally partial to the line. That the Dylan theme thinks declaring a joint RNC leadership with Lindell is a good or serious thing to consider is discrediting and a poop show inside a clown show inside a circus act inside an indigestion-induced nightmare. It's like putting the wet bandits, Harry and Marv of Home Alone in charge of the RNC. I don't understand how Hermit Dillon decided this was a good idea. I, I don't get why she thought this was a good idea. Ronald McDaniel is not the perfect chair for the RNC, but there are only these three people, and she at least is not going to stop how grifters and clowns inside the operation. By the way, there is more. There is more. This this is from Politico. One of the, the the very first person Harmeet Dillon said she would hire if she became RNC chair is a guy named Scott Pressler. This is from Politico Playbook. On the day she announced to run for RNC chair last month, Harmeet Dillon promised her Twitter followers that if elected, one of my first jobs would be Scott Pressler, a pugnacious MAGA-inspired grassroots organizer who boasts more than a million social media followers. He would get hired by the RNC. Her association with Pressler raised eyebrows in RNC circles. For one, Pressler published committee members' email addresses and Twitter accounts in a bid to harness grassroots sentiment against Ronald McDaniel to a fourth term. But some had another reason to recoil at Pressler's involvement. He previously worked with and reported to the RNC as a Republican Party of Virginia operative until the party suddenly cut ties in August 2016. According to three people familiar with the circumstances, Pressler engaged in sexual activity inside a Virginia Beach office the RNC shared with the state party and posted explicit pictures of the encounter on Craigslist. That's right, Craigslist. After party officials were made aware of the photos, Pressler was confronted about what had happened and seen the writing on the wall resigned. I hate to be the one who says, I told you so. But Dylan wants Scott Pressler and Carolyn Wren at the RNC. And she wants Mike Lindell sitting next to her. This is not good for the future of the GOP. We have to get away from crazy town. We have to move to the future and not cling to the past and not cling to the stolen election lies, not cling to the nonsense of the past. I got an email from a listener the other day who's very upset with me talking about the Senate and moving on from Trump and the like. Got a listener. He says, what about all the election ballots we've now found in Maricopa County that weren't getting? What about all the ballots? It was all stolen. That's all they do. They steal, they steal, they steal. You rhino. And I replied to the guy, and I I said, your problem is that you've confused whiners and winners. I want winners. You want whiners. I would like to win, please. I would like to stop Joe Biden. I would like to stop the Democrats. I would like to stop them. 
If you want to keep picking whiners and thinking they're winners, I can't stop you. But I do want to beat you because I would like to win. My friends, if you've listened to this program for 10 years, you know I'm not exactly an establishmentarian. I mean, just see the fight against Kevin McCarthy. Some of you were mad at me for fighting Kevin McCarthy, and I was right then, too. Got an amazing deal for conservatives. Got Chip Roy and Thomas Massey and Ralph Northam on the Rules Committee. The first time three firebrand conservatives have been on the Rules Committee. And some of you were mad at me then, too, and we won that against the establishment. Battling the establishment has to be serious. It cannot be a clown car full of clowns and oversized shoes and oversized egos and the operational wherewithal of Harry and Marv or the cops from Reno 911. They take serious people, not clowns. You want to beat the Democrats? You want to beat the Republican establishment? Stop backing clowns who whine instead of win. It's got to be Ronald McDaniel. There are only three people running. She's the one who's not the clown. Unfortunately, that's true. Wish there were better options. There aren't. I told you so. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The employee retention credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at Refunds with an S, RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, you are more than welcome. Before I get to any calls, though, I got to talk to you about uh, Marissa Pyle. You need to know what happened yesterday while I was gone. I want to give you some short history here. During the Reconstruction era, In the United States, after the Civil War, a group sprang up, ultimately being called the Ku Klux Klan. And it was a domestic terror organization intent on harassing black citizens of the United States and making them feel deeply unwelcome in the South, encouraging them to flee, brutalizing them, lynching them, killing them. But often, more often than not, just destroying property. They would burn crosses in people's yards to cause them to be in terror. When people went to church, they would come home and find their house in flames, or they would go home from a day at work and come home and find their business in flames. The Ku Klux Klan destroyed way more property than lives, but destroyed lives by destroying property without killing people. Yes, it killed people. The KKK lynched people and worse. But overwhelmingly, it destroyed people's property to drive them into terrors and cause them to flee. 
Stacey Abrams has an advisor named Marissa Pyle, who from the luxury of Lisbon, Portugal, on January 22nd, tweeted this after the riots in Atlanta that caused uh, police cars to burn and building windows to be smashed and property to be vandalized. She tweeted, you cannot commit violence against a window or a car. Killing a human? Now that, that is violence. Shame on Atlanta's leaders who fall into the same tired path of protecting property while our people are murdered by their police. This is a defense of the Ku Klux Klan, and I don't know that she's smart enough to realize that. Shame on the leaders who fall into the path of protecting property while people are murdered by the police. The KKK destroyed a whole lot more property than they killed people. Now, what's so funny about this is in 2021, the Wall Street Journal ran a story and said a a national eviction moratorium was thrown out by a federal judge who said the pandemic relief measure exceeded the powers of the CDC. Marissa Pyle said that was violence. That was violence. A judge saying that something exceeded the power of the CDC was violence. But actually destroying property was not. These people are mixed up. And, of course, they have the wokes in charge of some of the dictionary groups have gone back into the last year or so and even revised definitions and dictionaries to stand by the wokes. Historically, violence could be against person and property. The destruction of things of others to cause terror and fear was violence. And to cause harm to others was violence. The left believes words are violence and silence is violence and evicting people from homes is violence or having judges rule that certain government agencies have exceeded their power is violence. But actual violence is not violence if it is done to the other side. These people are no better than the January 6th people. This person worked for Stacey Abrams. The left is trying to redefine words. The left is trying to redefine words and censor you and make good words bad and bad words good. They are trying to exercise power through control of language. It is one of the hallmarks of postmodern Marxism. To control people and to obtain power, one must control the words that other people use. This is all about power. By saying violence is not violence, that property destruction by terrorists isn't violence. They're trying to redefine the definitions, and they've got the wokes at the dictionary offices to help them, some of the dictionary officers at least, very willing to do this. You have to stand up to this sort of woke nonsense. You must stand up to these people. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson Nationwide. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program Delighted to have you with me. Fast-paced day here. The RNC, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, is meeting in California. The New York Times has been calling RNC members. And it appears the RNC members might be beginning to move on. Reed Epstein and Lisa Lehrer at the New York Times The 168 members of the Republican National Committee are gathered in Southern California to select their own leader on Friday. And interviews this week with 59 of them, more than one-third of the committee's membership, found few eager to crown Mr. Trump their nominee for a third time. 
While they praised his policies and accomplishments as presidents, many expressed deep concerns about his age, his temperament, and his ability to win a general election, often in unusually blunt terms. This isn't 2016, said Mac Brown, the chairman of the Republican Party of Kentucky. People have moved on. Jonathan Barnett, an RNC member from Kansas who claims to have been the first member of the committee to endorse Mr. Trump's 2016 campaign, said the party would benefit from its nominee being forced to navigate a crowded primary field. I've been a supporter of Donald Trump in the past. I just think we need choices this time. We've got to look at all our options. The motivation to leave Mr. Trump behind is not ideological but political, the party leader said. They worried he cannot win. Everyone is very appreciative of Trump, and he did a lot of great things, said Art Wittich, an RNC member from Montana, who said Mr. Trump was not best positioned to win the general election. There's this burning desire to win in 2024, and that's what's got to drive a lot of our actions. Can we talk reasonably about this? So here's the thing. Um, when I get emails from people, and I, I don't mean this disparaging. I really, I genuinely, I truly don't mean to be disparaging. And I will say it as, as kindly as I can. When I get emails from people who are angry at me for criticizing Trump. I, it, look, I don't care for the guy. I was happy to support him in 2020. I don't care for the guy. You all know that. I try to maintain some level of objectivity in how I see the world. Try to tell you when I am being biased because of my own prejudices. I, and I, I, don't, I don't like the guy. But I have found it notable two things. One, in the past year and a half, the calls we get from people who are furious at me for criticizing them have gone down dramatically. And it's not that those people have tuned out and some of you say, well, they've gone elsewhere. Now, I know what the data for my program is. They, they haven't gone elsewhere. We've got more people listening now. But also a lot of them have called back, particularly after the Brian Kemp primary against David Perdue and then on into the general election uh, of this year with some of the, the picks in 2022 and, and people calling back and saying, yeah, okay, they, they think maybe I was right. What I find noticeable, and again, I don't mean this rude, this is an observation. The angriest emails that I get come from people over 55, generally over 60, retirees in particular. And I have a theory. And I want you to bear with me on my theory. Because I, I continue to, to get this uh, phenomenon where the numbers have gone down significantly but the vitriol of the emailers continues to go up. Uh, it's, it's angrier and angrier, it seems, The as Trump's polling goes down, the rage of his supporters goes up. And I just find that an interesting observation. 
I want to read to you something. Now, you should know the other angry email. I have one emailer in particular who gets mad at me when I read things. But this, you have to, I have to read this. And I want you to hear this. So I love the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. And this gets to my theory. And just bear with me. I'm a professional. This wall weaves together. This is the 15th of the screw tape letters. If you understand, if you know the history of the screw tape letters, so there is a demon named Screw Tape who is uh, working with an apprentice demon named Wormwood, and he's trying to give Wormwood advice on how to lure a man to hell. And he has a series of letters, and they are C.S. Lewis's observations, many written during World War II, on uh, the, the 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 great powers behind the scenes, the the angelic dimension, and the fights that go on. Let, let me let me read you this, dear my dear Wormwood. I had noticed, of course, that the humans were having a lull in their European war, what they naively call the war. And I'm not surprised that there's a corresponding lull in the patient's anxieties. Do we want to encourage this or to keep him worried? Tortured fear and stupid confidence are both desirable states of mind. Our choice between them raises important questions. The humans live in time, but our enemy destines them to eternity. He, therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things, to eternity itself and to that point in time which they call the present. For the present is the point in time that touches eternity. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience analogous to the experience which our enemy has of reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered them. He would therefore have them continually concerned either with eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union or separation from himself or else obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, giving thanks for the present pleasure. Our business is to keep them away from the eternal and therefore to keep them away from the present. With this in view, we sometimes tempt a human say a widow or a scholar, to live in the past. But this is of limited value, for they have some real knowledge of the past, and it has a determinate nature, and to the extent resembles eternity. It is far better to make them live in the future. Biological necessity makes all our passions point in this direction already, so that though thought about the future inflames hope and fear. Also, it is unknown to them, so that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. In a word, the future is, of all things, the thing least like eternity. It is the most completely temporal part of time, for the past is frozen and no longer flows, and the present is all lit up with eternal rays. Hence the encouragement we have given to all those schemes of thought, such as the creative evolution, scientific humanism, or communism, which fix man's affections on the future on the very core of temporality. Hence, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past. Love looks to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. Do not think lust is an exception. When the present pleasure arrives, the sin which alone interests us is already over. The pleasure is just the part of the process which we regret and which would exclude if we could do so without losing the sin. It is the part contributed by the enemy and therefore experienced in the present. 
the sin, which is our contribution, looks forward. In other words, someone who's lusting after someone in an affair. They have the affair, they consummate their affair, and there is pleasure then and there. That is That pleasure comes from heaven. The sin itself comes from hell. And the moment the pleasure is over, the regret builds in as you recognize no longer the pleasure but the sin. To be sure, the enemy wants men to think of the future too. Just so much as is necessary for now planning the acts of justice or charity, which will probably be their duty tomorrow. The duty of planning the morrow's work is today's duty. Though its material is borrowed from the future, the duty, like all duties, is the present. This is not straw splitting. He does not want men to give the future their hearts to place their treasure in it. We do. Remember, the enemy for screw tape is God. His ideal is a man who, having worked all day for the good of posterity, washes his mind to the whole subject, commits the issue to heaven, and returns at once to the patience or gratitude demanded by the moment that is passing over him. We want a man hag-ridden by the future, haunted by visions of an imminent heaven or hell upon earth, ready to break the enemy's commands in the present. If by so doing we make him think he can attain the one or avert the other, dependent for his faith on the success or failure of schemes whose end he will not live to see. We want a whole race perpetually in pursuit of the rainbow's end, never honest, nor kind, nor happy now, but always using as mere fuel wherewith to heap the altar of the future every real gift which is offered them in the present. It follows then in general, and other things being equal, that it is better for your patient to be filled with anxiety or hope, it doesn't matter which, about this war than for him to be living in the present. But the phrase living in the present is ambiguous. It may describe a process which is really just as much concerned with the future as anxiety itself. Your man may be untroubled about the future, not because he is concerned with the present, but because he has persuaded himself the future is going to be agreeable. As long as that is the real course of his tranquility, his tranquility will do us good because it is only piling up more disappointment and therefore more impatience for him when his false hopes are dashed. In other words, in other words, you keep people focused on what may or may not be in the future, a heaven or a hell, and it builds up their present anxieties. I think the reason the people who still email me the most angrily about Donald Trump in defense of him and because that they're all seasoned citizens, they are worried about the future for their grandkids. They're no longer living in the present because the present is joint pain, fixed income usually, worried about the future for the future of their family, the, the next generation of their family. And they look on the past, they ground it on the past of what they think the past was. They idealize the past because the past to everyone always seems better than the present, even though it may not be. But they idealize, idolize the past compared to the present. And they see a future where you have Democrats and this nonsense wokeism on the, on the march. And they, they think they need somebody to come in and fight. And, and they saw Donald Trump fighting. And so they're the most passionate supporters of Donald Trump, which gives him an advantage among older Americans who tend to vote more in primaries, but also shackles the entire party to this very thing that screw tape is advising Wormwood to be able to do, 
to wit, we want a man hag-ridden by the future, haunted by visions of an imminent heaven or hell upon earth, ready to break the enemy's commands in the present. If by so doing, we can make him think he can attain the one or avert the other, dependent for his faith on the success or failure of schemes whose ends he will not live to see. That's what I think is going on here. And so I'm sympathetic to it but also think we need to live in a present preparing for a future as screw tape advises Wormwood to avoid doing. We got to live in a present and in this present, you have RNC members meeting in Southern California and they're ready to move on to someone new, some fresh face. My personal preference is let Trump run. If he wins, he wins. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Stop screaming about past stolen elections and screaming that they're out to get him. Let him, let him run. He'll succeed or he will fail. But also, don't be angry if he loses. He's already lost once and people have idealized it into a mythology of stolen elections. He may lose again. And I guess there will be those who mythologize it into something else again. But the reality is, I think the future of the party being considered right now in the present in Southern California is a very bright future of new leaders if the old guys just will step aside, think of all of the young leaders the Republican Party has moving forward. The Tim Scotts, the Josh Hawleys, the, uh, the the J.D. Vances, the Ron DeSantis's, the Christy Gnomes. They're all under 50. They're all good people. They could all make a play for the future if the Republican Party's older members stop being hag-ridden by the future living in fear of an impending heaven or hell, we might be able to gain some wisdom. One of the groups that's out there hoping to help with that wisdom and help the party and help the conservative cause is Patriot Mobile. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today, patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K, or call them 972-PATRIOT, you can move your cell phone service to them. You get guaranteed great service, and they got the same cell towers everybody else uses. They, You can go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric and check out their map down to your house if you want. They have 5G data, voice, you name it. Uh, they got great service. The map shows you how strong it is in your area. You can port your existing phone number to them or get a new phone number from them. You can also uh, get a new phone from them if you need it. If your current phone is unlocked, you can take that to them. You get great discounts, and they take a portion of their profits, and they give it to the pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, all the causes conservatives care about because they share your values. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson. Be sure to text DATA to 33777. Subscribe to the show notes email and you get 15% off. Right now, I want to squeeze in some phone calls as much as I can. Ruth, Mary, you're going to be first. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, I have to agree with you what you're saying about the uh, older voters and, and Trump. I'm 69, but I'm not voting for Trump if he was to run again. I voted for him for the first two times. But at second time, I find presidents kind of wear out their welcome mat at the end of their second term. And Trump did. And I didn't like how he was handling how the election is was stolen, blah, blah, blah. I got so sick of that. I just find that um, between the two of Biden and Trump, 
I'm beginning to think they're actually giving older people a bad name with the way they're <laughs> acting. I mean, really, if I was a business person, I'd be looking at them saying, I don't know if I want some senior people. I mean, they're supposed to be better quality. But to me, Biden, and I don't mean to be ugly about this, but I think the Democrats need to change their donkey and not give a donkey a bad name and make it a jackass so it can say hee-haw, hee-haw all the time because of all the different stuff from his administration and him and everything. But the Republicans, the elephant, that's the elephant in the room that nobody wants to deal with or talk about. And it almost reminds me of Dumbo the elephant where he can't, he's tripping over his own ears and that until he finally learns to get it right and then soars and does things. You know, he's, he's a good Good elephant, I shouldn't say good elephant, but he's found his his way. Right. And I think the Republican Party has is kind of like that elephant in the room, we, especially with Trump. We don't know how to deal with him, and we're trying to ignore him. Yeah, I, I, so. I think that's fair. Look, I, that's well said. Thank you very much for calling in, 877-973-7425. I, I, I just I, I want to relay again, I, I understand the partisan loyalty people have to the former president. I do. I don't have it, but I recognize it. I appreciate it. I just disagree. Um, I do find more and more evidence, though, the party seems to be moving forward, including this report from the New York Times. If you subscribe to the show notes, you would see it, uh, that even the RNC committeemen and women, many of whom came because of Trump, got into the party, got involved. They're now ready to move on to someone else. We're going to move on to now. Uh, down in Florida, the Washington Post claims there is a building backlash against Ron DeSantis over his opposition to an AP course on black history. 